0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Look at all these guys and gals that we had at D-NOW weekend. It was awesome to have over 70 kids went, went to uh, camp at uh, or D-NOW weekend at Camp Bethany I don't know how many made it back. Did we lose any in the woods or anything? We lost a few. It's all right. None that we care about. Is that what you're saying, Andrew? Yeah, he's like, we're all good. Yeah, well, there's a secret. This is a form of torture that we do in the church. We take you for a weekend, give you no sleep, and then put you in the very front of the church for an hour of warm silence. And you can't go to sleep. So uh, it's uh, good to see everybody here. Uh, We're working through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we'll continue on through 2 Corinthians. And today, we get to chapter 13, which is the love chapter. If I had Barry White here, it'd be awesome, but we don't. But what's the first thing that comes to mind when you... What's the first song that comes to mind when you think of love? First song that comes to mind. I think I dated myself this morning when I confessed to the early service... That mine was the song. What's love got to do, got to do? Y'all ever heard of that song? Y'all know who sings that? Tina Turner. It's a new artist. Y'all are gonna hear. Her. She's gonna hit the charts soon. <laughs> Tina Turner. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the, you know. But here's what that song says. What's love got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? So that's where my mind went. Was Tina Turner. And all about emotions, all about feelings, all about the fuzzy warm stuff. I think of weddings, I think of chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is at a lot of weddings. And so today we're going to look at this idea of love, and Paul's going to talk about this today. But we're going to see Paul's Paul's context in which he gave this message on love is actually quite different than the wedding scene. It wasn't like we are reading in Corinthians and then he says, uh, oh, a couple's getting married, let's talk about love. That's not it at all. In fact, he is talking about the problems going on in the church. And we, we end in chapter 12, 31 last week with Paul saying this. He says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. A more excellent way for the church. What is that more excellent way? He's going to say today in chapter 13, it's love. So what has been going on in the church at Corinth? We have been week after week watching Paul address issue or problem after problem after problem. They've been biting and devour and trampling over each other and stepping on people's heads in order to exalt themselves. And Paul says, hey, there's a much better way there's a much there's a more excellent way to live within the church last weekend specifically was addressing the uh, abuse of the spiritual gift of tongues that was going on in their church apparently when they gathered together like this it became a very chaotic scene because they were running around trying to just show how spiritual they were by speaking in tongues and it was really chaos and we're going to see that next week and Paul says No, 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 no. But last week, before we get to there, he said, we need to understand the the context and the purpose of spiritual gifts. It's not about making much of yourself. It's about making much of Jesus. And and as I studied last week's text, I don't think it really came through enough. I want to just, again, emphasize what Paul was saying was that his emphasis wasn't on each one of you has a gift, and you need to figure out your gift and be your truest self. I mean that, That's so individualistic. I'm not saying that that's bad, but his, his emphasis was on, on Jesus, that he was saying that the most important thing that the body of Christ needs, the greatest thing for the common good of the body of Christ is for Christians, for this church, to see Jesus. And the way we see Jesus is when we are all living out the the life of Jesus in and among ourselves, when we're using our gifts. And, and I like to think of gifts bigger than just this list of 13 things that you can have. And if you don't have one of these 13, you're like, well, what's wrong with me? Well, it's not that. It's it's temperament, personality, the way God's wired you, the opportunities that we give you in the church. And you just being faithful in the church to serve others, whether it's uh, without appreciation, you're behind the scenes, or whether you're up here on the, which our community calls the fiddle, when you're up here playing the fiddle, and it's beautiful. Whatever the case may be, you're, you're, you're specifically revealing an aspect of Jesus, That when you do what you do and we all start doing together, I kind of, it's kind of weird and creepy, but I kind of picture as a hologram, like Jesus starts to show up. Because when you do that, you're showing a unique attribute of Jesus. And when you do that, you're showing a little different angle and characteristic of Jesus. And when we're doing what God's called us to do, as it says, he gave each one of us a, a, a role to play to reveal Jesus because That's what the church needs. When I preach a sermon, it should be showing you Jesus. When we sing songs, it should be highlighting Jesus. When you serve the way you serve and the way you bring organization to chaos or the way you bring cleanliness and holiness, it should magnify Jesus. And when we're all doing that, we see Jesus. And Paul says, that's the greatest need of the church. That's the greatest gift to the church is that we see Jesus. And so he said, that's what you need to understand. And then today he says, I want to show you a better way to live in the church, a different way than the way the church in Corinth had been living, is that they had been biting and devouring and being selfish and self-exalting and concerned about making themselves look good. And Paul says, there's a better way, and that way is love. And so we're going to look at love today. And the context is much different than a wedding. It's, it's the scene of a, a church with a lot of issues going on. Now, my community group, most of them were in my first were in the first service. But those who are in here today, I want you to pay careful attention. My community group gave me a lot of grief last week. Lana, hey, there's one right there. I should ask them all to stand up just to put them on the spot. They gave me a lot of grief. They're like, I couldn't follow your points last week. See, when you're the pastor and you're leading a group that discusses your own message It's always interesting, you know, what'd you think about the message? It better be good, you know, but they were like, I could not follow your outline, I got confused, so here's what we're going to do today, and Lana always wants to know the title, so here's the title, Lana, Love the Better Way, so write that down on the top of your notes, Love the Better Way, and we're going to have three points, Lana, the first point is demand, the second point is description, and the third point is duration. I'm not being very loving in my message on love. So let me ask the Lord to help us be loving. Lord, thank you uh, for this church. And we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand. I pray that my community group will understand this message. And we pray that you will uh, just be with us and help us to take your word, your truths that you revealed to us through your scriptures, and that your spirit will genuinely apply it to our hearts. Because I sincerely pray, all kidding aside, Lord, we really do want to be the most loving place on the planet. I pray that we'll be known as the most loving people in this city. Lord, that can only happen by the work of your Spirit in our lives. And so we ask that you would do that this morning and you'd begin to give us progress in this calling just by looking at your word this morning. It's in Christ's gracious, loving name we pray. Amen. Alright, so first, the demand for love. I get this in verses 1 through 3, where Paul basically says, God demands love. You may have a lot of other things that are important, but the supreme demand of God is love. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers... And I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And I, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul is highlighting the supremacy of love above many other very good and wonderful and valuable things. He's not pushing those things down and saying they're not important. He's just saying more important is love. God demands love. In fact, his language is very It's very interesting. He doesn't say, if you do all these great things, but you don't have love, then you're not as good as you can be. That's not what he says. He says, if I do all these things and I don't have love, I'm a zero. I am nothing. I am nothing. And I gain nothing with God from doing these things. So it's a real tough situation criticism for us it's a real exaltation of the supremacy and God's demand that we love imagine what just to drive the point home imagine this person is in this room okay you can just pretend it's you if you want to or you could pretend it's someone else but this person that Paul describes imagine if this person really was in this room today let me describe him again this person speaks the tongues of men. That means that they are just a great orator. Really just can, can preach the word. Just a great orator of God's word. And speaks with tongues of angels. Has this incredible spiritually appearing gift. And they have prophetic powers. They can tell you of, with prophecy. They can prophesy all of God's mysteries revealed through them. And if they understood all mysteries, not some mysteries, it says all mysteries. If you, if you had this incredible ability that all mysteries, to, you could explain them. One by one, we came to you and we said, I, I need you to explain something to me. And they could explain all mysteries. And it says, and they have all knowledge. Not partial knowledge, not some knowledge, not a lot of knowledge, but all the knowledge that has been written in all the commentaries and all the scholarly writings. They have all that knowledge. And if their faith was so massively strong that they could literally remove mountains with their faith because they had such incredible faith. And if they were so radically generous that they, everywhere they went, they said, there's a need, I give it away. They had nothing, they lived in poverty because they gave everything they had, they gave it away. And if that's not enough, this person died, why? Because they refused to renounce Christ, they were burned at the stake for Christ. Could Paul have made anyone look more perfect? The perfect Christian. The ultimate Christian. This is the Christian superhero. Paul says, if that person existed in your church without love, there's zero. Without love, there's zero. Love is the supreme evidence of spirituality. Love is the supreme gift that God demands of us. Without love, no matter what you've done, no matter how spiritual you are, no matter how godly you feel, no matter how much the Bible you've memorized, no matter what a great worship leader you are, or a preacher, or a teacher, or memorizing of scriptures, or never missed a quiet time in three years straight, no matter what you've done, you've emptied your pockets and you've filled the offering plates, if you do not love, it amounts to nothing. Paul says that's that's not the way we think that's not the way we think the absence of love disqualifies a person completely God demands his agape love God demands his love flowing in and through you to others And if you don't have that, Paul's words are, you are a zero to God. And you gain nothing from God for all the wonderful things that you've done. Because they're wonderful things. All the things that Paul mentions are intentionally things that God commands his people to do. They're not like these things that you shouldn't be doing. He says, no, those are valuable things that I've called you to do, I expect you to do, I want you to do, what's normative for Christians to do. But if you don't love, all of it's for naught. Because if it is not your expression of God's love in and through you, then it's not of God. Without love, we are nothing. So God demands love. 1 John 3.10 John says this, by this, it's evident who are the children of God. You want to know who are the children of God? This is how you know. You want to know who are the children of the devil? This is how you know. Whoever does, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Did you hear that? You do not love your brother or your sister in Christ, no matter how spiritual you think you are, you are not of god it's not vague it's clearly stated john three first John three eleven for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. This is God's message from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, beginning of time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the sum of everything, he says. Our mission statement is to love Christ, love Christians, and take that love outside the walls of the church from neighbors to nations. It is all about love. God demands love. And if you do not love 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life, born again from spiritual death to spiritual life. How do we know? Because we love. Because we love the brothers. And who is not love abides in death. How do you measure your spirituality? No, seriously, to yourself, think about it. When I'm doubting or I want to prove to someone or I want confidence that I'm... I'm a, I'm a believer. What do you go to? What do you look at? Where do you find assurance? Where do you say, okay, this is, what, this is what I really think is most important in my life. Think about it. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you said quiet time? That's where I tend to go. Well, if I've had a good quiet time, if I've spent a good time in the Word, and, and those are good things. Or maybe some of you are more servant-hearted and you're like, well, if I've been serving on, without getting attention, I feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really doing good with God. Or maybe your gift is something else and you're like, Wh- whatever it is. Paul says the, the place you should go is love. Because if you don't love, all that's for naught. It's not how much you know. It's not how much you give. It's not your spiritual gift. It's not how well you teach, how well you sing, how much you do without being recognized. Paul says the greatest measure of your spirituality, the greatest evidence of your spirituality that you are partaker of the Spirit of God is your love. God demands love. So if he demands love, we need to look at the next point, which is the description of love. Lana, we're in point number two. The description of love. And when we read this verse, you've got to put yourself in a beautiful scene. We're at a wedding, right? This is the only time we've ever heard this verse is in a wedding. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy Or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. All kidding aside, though, the context is for the church. How wonderful is it if this is how we lived in our marriages, if we did live this way in the church, in our marriages, in our families, if the love of Christ, because that's the only way to fulfill this command, is to have God's love in us by the Spirit of God, which then gradually over time begins to transform us and make us like this. This is the journey we are all on, becoming, loving the way Christ loved us. And so the more that we live this out in our marriages, in our families, with our parents and children, with our community, with our church, the more wonderful, the better it is because this, Paul says, is a better, more excellent way. So let's go through this. What love is? Well, first of all, the word for love in Greek is agape. There's different words for love, but this word is in particular a unique God love, a love that is unique to God and expressed and embodied through Jesus, And and what we see is the gospel gives us the components of that love, that though we sinned against God, he responded to us with mercy and grace and patience and kindness, and he gave of himself that we might be made holy and alive. And so that is agape love. But notice what the Bible dictionary says, uh, that agape love is defined as a warm regard and interest for another person with esteem, affection, and regard. But then notice that Paul describes agape love in these verses, how? Fifteen verbs. He describes love with 15 verbs in the Greek. They're not 15 adjectives describing emotions or feelings. They're 15 verbs to say This is what agape love is for us to be. This is what it is. And so he says, first of all, love is. He's going to tell us what love is, and then he's going to tell us what love is not. What love is, first couplet, is patience, kindness. So these words describe how a person responds to persecution or to difficulty or to irritation or to challenge what does love do when it's attacked we respond with first a passive response patience second an active response kindness this is how christ responds to persecution this is how christ responded to my sin this is how christ responded to your sin in romans chapter 2 verse 4 paul says this very important verse Do you presume upon the riches of God's kindness? There's the kindness and his forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So, the way God responded to you and to me was love. What do you mean? God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were sinning, he died for us. Patient endurance of the sin, active kindness of giving himself to bless us. He says, this is how you know you're one of mine. This is how you know you're spiritual. This is how you know you have received the gift of the Spirit is as you start to see within you Spirit-empowered, grace-enabled kindness and patience towards those who are persecuting you. Love is kind and patience. Jesus God did not give us the judgment we deserved. And God calls us to exercise a similar love for others. But it's only possible by the Spirit. It's not something we do. You don't just white and knuckle it. You don't just grin and bear it. You don't fake it. You pray. You do spiritual warfare. You go to the Word of God. You pray God to work on your heart. You ask the Spirit of God to give you this kind of patience and kindness, to give you the grace to treat others the way that you have been treated. It's just, it's just part of what God's called us to grow in. But this is what we need to focus on. This is why we read the word. This is why we worship. This is why we come to church. Because those good things help us know Christ. And to know Christ is to love Christ. And to love Christ is to have his love overtake us and flow through us. But to do all those things without love is for naught. So next Paul gives us seven verbs that tell us what love is not. And all of these verbs seem to be addressing the exact negative behavior he saw in Corinth. So basically he's going, hey church, there's a better way. It's love. You want to know what love is? It is kindness and patience toward each other when you're being attacked. You want to know what love is not? It's not what you were doing last week. It's not what you were doing this way. It's not what you did when you did this. What y'all been doing, that ain't love. Love is not the way you are living. And I've got a better way. Let me help you understand what love is. Love does not envy or boast. That's what they were doing. They were filled with envy and boasting. And that's why they were abusing the spiritual gifts, especially the certain sign gifts. They wanted to show everyone just how spiritual they were. And then people were envious of others' gifts. And so it was creating this terrible factions and divisions in the church. And that's what Paul has been preaching on, saying, guys, this is not the way God wants you to live in the church because love does not envy or boast. And you may have all these spiritual gifts, but if you don't have love, then you're zero. It doesn't help you in any way. You do gain nothing from God. So Paul exhorts them, love does not envy or boast. He continues in verse 4, it's not arrogant or rude. The arrogant word means to be puffed up. The rude word means to behave in a shameful manner. Perhaps he's addressing the, the ones that we saw a few weeks ago, the ladies, the women who were expressing their freedoms in a way that brought shame to their husband and shame to their families. And he's saying, that's not love. Yeah, you're free to do that, but that's not love. That's not what love does. That's just arrogant and rude. It says to us that you can't be rude in the church. You can't be rude to people and think you're okay because you know a lot of Bible. He goes on to say, love does not insist on its own way. Remember the freedoms that they've had? And they've been insisting, well, I'm free to do this. I'm free to go to the temples. Those aren't real gods. I'm free to go. Yeah, but you're, you're hurting others, Paul says. Love says, no. If it hurts others, you don't do it. Love says, if it's offensive to someone, then be willing to say, you know what? It's not about just getting my way. It's about putting others' needs ahead of my own needs. Why would I do that? Because that's what the Spirit of God did for you. And that's what he produces in you. A willingness and a desire to put others' needs ahead of your own needs. To sacrifice for the good of others. Love is not easily angered. This is the idea of not being irritable. I don't know a specific example in Corinth, but I can give you a specific example from my life moment by moment. Anytime you want to know what irritability looks like, just watch me. To be quick to anger, to be irritable, it's not the fruit of the spirit. That's fruit of the flesh. And God says that there's a better way to live than that. Love is not resentful. The Greek word behind resentful literally means to think upon or dwell upon the evil. He's saying love does not dwell on the evil. Love does not dwell on the evil that has been done against you. That only leads to unforgiveness, anger, malice, a hardened heart. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we are told Christ did not count our sins against us. Praise God, he does not dwell on the evil we have done against him. They're covered in Christ. How are they covered in Christ? He voluntarily laid his life down that we might be forgiven. That's love. Continuing in verse 6, It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love always chooses God's side. Doesn't choose the side of evil. Always chooses the side of right. Right? And this could be in large-scale societal evil, whether it's injustices or criminal behavior, or more more personal forms such as gossip or taking pleasure in someone else's failures. That's not what love does. It's never loving to condone sin in a person's life, even though it's Painful and hard to address it. The loving thing to do is to say, this is the truth. And we can't compromise that. The truth is not up for debate. We must speak the truth. But Paul says, speak the truth in love. Because if you speak the truth, no matter how right you are, if you don't have love, you are dead wrong. That's what the church needs to remember. So he then brings it to a crescendo in verse 7. He says, this is exalted language. To, to- it's almost poetic. It brings it to a crescendo. Love bears all, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now this is lofty language. He's not saying love is gullible. And believes whatever is said. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that love never loses faith. Love never loses hope. Therefore, love always endures anything that it suffers. That's important. Did you hear what I'm saying? That love endures a lot. And is able to endure as love continues to have faith and hope. So we have three things. Faith, hope, and love. And then Paul says, these three things are very important, but the greatest of these is love. But before I explain that, let's go back through these gifts, these descriptions of love, I should say, and let's put, replace Jesus in place of the word love. And I'm going to do it in past tense. Listen, Jesus was patient. Jesus Was kind, and he still is. Jesus was patient. Jesus was kind. Jesus did not envy or boast. Jesus was not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on getting his own way, that's for sure. Jesus was not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endured all things. Can I put your name in there? Can you put my name in there? The only way to not be a zero before God is to say, I'm taking you at your word. You promised, God, you'd give me credit for Jesus' righteousness. You're giving me credit for the way He loved. You counted me as loving like that, though every day I fail and fall short. That's grace. That's the gospel. And so if you don't have that, you gain nothing with God by giving everything away. You gain nothing with God to spend your whole life stamping out poverty and injustice. You gain nothing with God no matter how beautifully you sing or how educated you are in the word or how much you've memorized or how much you know or how well you teach if you haven't experienced the importing of God's love by the Spirit of God that is transforming you into this and that gives you full credit for Christ's love and righteousness, then it's all for naught. So we clearly have opportunity to confess and repent this morning. It brings such depth. Instead of being this fuzzy, warm, atmosphere at a wedding that brings us this joy it is ripping me in half and that's what Paul wants to do he wants to humble us and say I need God to work in and through me only by receiving Jesus by faith can we be filled with his spirit and begin to discover how to love this way So God demands love. We've seen the demand for love. We've seen the description of love. And Paul ends with this duration of love. In this final section, Paul exalts the supremacy of love. He says it never ends. He says faith is important. Hope is wonderful. And love, but he says in verse 8, but love never ends. Everything else does. He says, as for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfect comes, when the perfect comes, meaning Jesus returns, the partial will pass away. So here's the premise to to think about to understand these verses that we're getting into. In verse 8 through 13, here's here's the premise. To know Jesus is to love Jesus. To the extent that you know Jesus, you will love Jesus. So here's what he does. He says, right now, we know Jesus in part. But then, when he returns, we will know him fully. And So this makes sense of the spiritual gifts that he's been talking about. The spiritual gifts were given, why? To know Jesus, to, to manifest Jesus in our midst. When we come and we hear the word of God preached, it better be exalting Jesus. When we sing together the songs, the lyrics, the way we, we do this, it should be helping us know Jesus, The way you serve and teach the children. You're helping them know Jesus. The way you humble yourself and serve coffee or change filters or light bulbs or take out trash or change the slides or adjust the lights or the music or the sound. You do it in a way you are revealing Jesus. The way you act in your community group. You're showing people Jesus. Different Aspects, different angles on a diamond on the glory of Jesus is revealed more and more as we display him because we need more of him. We don't know him fully. That's why we study the word. That's why we sing. That's why we memorize the word. Not to gain something but to know Jesus because now it's partial. We don't fully know him. But when Christ returns, there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and he will eliminate all of his enemies, and all that will remain, all that will dwell on this new heaven and new earth will be Jesus with his people. And the veil will be removed, and the scales will fall off, and we will see him in all his glory. And we will be overwhelmed as we know him and as we see the glory of God who created the foundations of the world with the power of his word, and we will love him. We will love him fully and completely with every ounce of our being. Therefore, we will be perfectly patient, perfectly kind, perfectly merciful, forgiving and gracious. And all evil will be forgotten because we will fully know him and fully love as he has fully known us and fully loved us. That is a profound concept that Jesus knows you fully. Do you live with a little sense of fear that if I was fully known by everybody, they would not love me? If they really knew me, God knows you and he loves you fully. And one day, you will know him fully and you will love him fully. So now it's, we're like elementary love. Elementary education, elementary sermons, elementary prophecies, elementary tongues, elementary gifts is what he says in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When Christ returns, we won't need to be this elementary giftedness that we have now. We will be fully matured. He says, the problem is right now we see not the person himself, but we see like a reflection in a mirror. The Greeks were inventing the mirror and they were perfecting the mirror at this time. They're very proud of the mirror. And Paul says, you don't understand. To know Jesus one day is to see his presence versus just seeing a reflection of him. It's like for us saying, I don't want just a picture of Jesus. I want Jesus. And he says, that's coming. And when you get that, oh, glory, he's gonna, you're going to love him fully. But now, I only know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known by him. Conclusion, summary. So now, faith, absolutely. Hope, yes. Love, yes. These three abide but the greatest of these is love. Now you go, wait, wait, wait. How can that be? He's minimizing faith and hope. Our whole everything is hinders, it, it, it's, bound, it's standing on the foundation of faith. And he just said that love is greater than faith. He's not talking about an emotion, he's saying that you only need faith when there's unknown, when there's uncertainty. Hebrews defines faith as faith is being certain of things unseen. And so for now, we don't know everything. We can't see everything, so we need faith. Hope is remaining steadfast in the face of doubt and doubting promises. And he says, that's good. You need hope. You need confidence in the face of uncertainty. But one day, when Christ is here with us there will be no need for faith because our faith will be sight. He will be there. There will be on no unknowns. There will be no unseen. There will be no doubt. Christ will be present and we will know him fully and we will love him fully. And so when faith and hope go away, there will be nothing but the fulfillment of faith and hope and that is loving Christ fully. Isn't that glorious? So having said all that, I come back to the early question. What do you point to to say, I am spiritual? Is it a spiritual gift? Is it what you put in the plate? Is it how much Bible you know? The greatest of these is love. Do you have the love of Christ flowing from you? Let me get a little more personal. If Jesus was trolling your Twitter account, if Jesus was scrolling through your Facebook page, what he reads. Do you think he's pleased with reading how you beat someone over the head with a Bible verse? Do you think he's pleased with spitting venom at a political party or a political candidate or a person on the opposite side of you because you think you're more biblical? The Lord is not pleased with truth absent love. I'm not saying compromise. We don't compromise the truth. But we don't beat people with the Bible. No matter how right you are, if you say it without love, you are dead wrong. I don't want that for us. Jesus doesn't want that for us. Jesus wouldn't post like that. He met the woman in the city that was cast out for her sin and he spoke the truth, but he did it with love. May we be the most loving people on the planet. May we have the most loving post. Stand for truth, but please, do it with love. Father, I pray that we will be loving. We can only do this by your grace. We can only represent you as we know you. And we know you through the the things that we do up here, like reading your Bible and praying and seeking you and singing about you and serving and As we do that, Lord, I pray that your spirit would work on us and make us like you, patient kind, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, slow to speak, not trampling, not not resentful, but that we would die to self to serve others, speaking the truth with great love. Lord, we want this place to be loving so that your glory, your love, so that people see you and want to come to know you. Lord, we know that nobody comes to faith by us beating over the head with truth, but like you saved us, you were kind and merciful to us that we might repent. So I pray, Lord, in this highly charged political climate, that we would be kind, patient, that people might come to know you as Savior. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at northsferrychurch.org.